It's a passage that I've really enjoyed looking at, um, Psalm 49, and I trust that we'll be blessed by it together. Shall we just pray and ask for his blessing? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is so true, and we thank you for the power of your word. And we ask that tonight, as we spend some time looking into it, that you might please speak to us. Please challenge us. Please um, speak to the needs that we have. Uh, Speak to the areas of our lives that need correcting. And Father, we pray, encourage us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So Psalm 49. Uh, If you have your Bibles open, uh, we'll be referring back to that at various points uh, this evening. Psalm 49. A few years ago, my wife and I were on holiday in Spain. And my wife speaks Spanish, and she spent a year there when she was um, studying Spanish at uni. Uh, and so she felt quite comfortable in Spain. And to me, it was the first time I'd ever been there. I don't speak a word of Spanish, apart from hasta la bye-bye. I thought that was quite clever. My wife tells me it just doesn't make any sense in Spanish. Anyway, um, and we were down by a harbour, and we were having our lunch. And we're sitting on this bench, and we've got our picnic out and we're sitting there eating our sandwiches and, and looking at the, the boats in the harbour. And I could sense that Jenny was a bit uncomfortable and she just didn't feel at ease. And eventually I said, you know, what's the matter? And she said, well, you have to realise, Ross, what we're doing in Spain, this is, no one does this. No one sits on a bench and just eats their lunch. Um, it's most uncultural. Uh, and people were passing by and they were saying something in Spanish, which I didn't understand what they were saying, but they were commenting on the fact that we're outside eating our food. Now, for me, it was fine. I mean, we were looking at the view, we were eating our food, it was serving a purpose. But for my wife, she was quite uncomfortable because this is not the done thing around here. And I wonder if you ever have had that experience in life where you're living as a Christian and you know what you're doing is the right path to be walking on. And yet, still every now and again, there come those little doubts in your mind and questions that maybe come in and you start to look around at other people's lifestyles around you. And then the thought comes into your mind, their lifestyle is so different. They spend their time so differently. Their money so differently. And and I don't live like that. I I wonder if I'm missing out on something. I wonder if they're enjoying things that I'm not enjoying. That's the little thought I'd like to have in mind as we come and look at this psalm together. But as we look at this psalm, just notice, before we get into the meat of what the psalm is talking about, see what it says in verse 1. It says, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Here is the psalmist, and they're saying, here is a message that you need to hear. Here is a message that it says here, all peoples need to hear. Uh, Give it all inhabitants of the world. And as this psalmist was writing down these words, with the inspiration of God's spirit, he realized that this message was something everybody needed to hear. And throughout the generations, that has continued. And so here... This is a message that we need to hear. It says, both low and high, rich and poor. It doesn't matter who you are. 
the wealthiest person on this planet, the poorest person on this planet, the most unnoticed person, the person that everyone's head turns when they walk in the room. Whoever you are, it's for you. Whether you're a new Christian or a mature Christian, whether you're joyful in your Christian walk or whether you're struggling, this message here in Psalm 49 is for you. Look at verse 3. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will disclose my dark sayings on the harp. Here is this psalm, and this psalm is going to give us wisdom. It's talking about God's wisdom. And you know what God's wisdom is? God's wisdom is, is when we look at a situation and we view it with the mindset, with the attitude that God would view it in. Man's wisdom, human wisdom, is when we look at it from our own perspective and we say, oh, this is what it is. This is how we should live. But God's wisdom and biblical wisdom is when we say, this is how God views it. And this is how I need to be understanding it. You know in the Proverbs as you read through those, often you have wisdom contrasted against folly, don't you? And by putting them both together, you see the foolishness of the folly and you see the, the, the wisdom of the wisdom, if that makes sense. And, and by being together, you see them contrasted. Well here, in a sense, this is a, this is a proverb from God's word here in Psalm 49. Verse 3, my mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. What has this psalmist done? He's meditated, it on, meditated on it in his heart. He's thought about it. He's churned it over. He's thought through, how does this really impact my life? What does this really mean for me? And as he's thought it through, and as he's grappled with it, and as he's meditated on it and understood it, then he's in a position to share it and to give that understanding. Verse 4, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on a harp. So here he is. Some of these things, they might seem like dark sayings, difficult to understand. They might not be things that seem logical to us at, at face value. But let's give it some thought, because this message is a message that we all need to hear. We all need to take note of. And so, as we come and look at this psalm, let's listen and see what God is saying. I wonder if, back in COVID, you ever suffered from the toilet roll syndrome. Do you know what that was? When, when all of a sudden, toilet rolls became like gold dust. And maybe you'd never thought about toilet rolls before. And then all of a sudden, everyone's talking about going to the shops and making sure you're stacked up on toilet rolls. And you start to think, well, I've got a few at home, but maybe, sh maybe I should get more. And so you are one, one, on, one of the ones that are going out and buying some more. And what is it? One person starts to do something, and it slowly spreads. Why? Because other people, oh, if they're doing it, I should do it. And the next person says, well, if all them are doing it, I should do it as well. But I wonder if sometimes that's what it's like in the Christian life. As we thought just a moment ago, you look at other people and you see what they spend their time on and you say, well, I don't do that as a Christian. I have different priorities. But, but if they're doing it, I wonder if I'm missing out. You look at the balance of, of how you spend your time and you say, well, I 
go to church on Sundays. I mean, if I cut down on that amount, or if I, if I didn't spend so much time helping with the children's work, or, or going to the Bible studies, or the prayer meetings, that's eating into so much of my time that I'm losing this time. I wonder if I'm making so much of a sacrifice there. Or maybe you might start to think of uh, your money. You say, well, I wonder if I am tithing too much. I wonder if I am giving too much. I wonder if I'm not just pouring enough luxury on myself and just enjoying myself a bit more. And those thoughts can come into our minds. And so in verse 5, the psalmist says, Why should I fear? And he looks around at those about, verse 6, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. And there can be this element when we look around at other people who live with their money and we think they've got something. And it unsettles us. And we think, maybe I should be more like that. Well, let's look and see what this psalm teaches us when we're tempted to have those wobbles, when we're tempted to think, am I missing something? I've got two points, and each point has three sub-points. So my first point is this. When you're tempted to look at those around you that aren't following the Lord, that aren't Christians, and say, maybe I should be a bit more like them, Remember this first one. Remember their stupidity. Remember their stupidity. Remember their folly, their foolishness. So look at verse 11. Here's my first sub-point. They are grasping for this sense of permanence. Verse 11 says, Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Here they are, there's this element in which they're saying, let's try and make myself permanent here. Uh, at the back of their minds, they know that they're not, but let's try and do everything that I can. So I put my stamp on this land and I call it by my own name and, and it's mine and it's always going to be mine and I can pass it down to those generations behind me and it's always going to be in our family line and this sense of I'm going to last in some form. I'm going to remain I'm permanent. This strange sense in which we think, and all of us can be guilty of this, well, I know I'm going to die at one stage, but it's not yet. I've got lots of time yet. And almost as if, well, I won't die. And we can have that mindset, and people do have that mindset, is they live through life. I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking at a senior ladies, an old ladies' Bible time. And at the end of sharing with them, I was talking to one of the, the ladies there, well in her 90s, and she had just been recovering, or was in the process of recovering um, from some health issues, and I think she'd fallen and broken her hip, amongst other things. And what struck me was that as she was speaking, she was speaking in these terms of, once I've got over this illness, once I've got over these few health concerns, then it's going to be life ahead of me again, and it's all before me, as if... As if almost she was 20. And she's saying, all of life is there. And it hit me. This woman in her late 80s is really only going in one direction, really. And there might be improvements, but generally it's one direction. She's not here anymore. She's died. 
But then it struck me, I wonder how I think like that. People around us think like that all the time. Grasping for this sense of permanence. I'm here. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. So they're grasping for permanence. But then secondly, they're glorying in praise. Look down in verse 18. This is what they say. This is what their thought is. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. Do you see how people live? Oh, it's all about, about what I can achieve. My, my achievements in life bring me some form of status. And with that status, I get this sense of satisfaction. And, and, and they praise me. And, and I, I praise myself for what I've done. And I've become proud of the wealth that I've managed to gain. Because it's given me some sense of purpose, some sense of significance, and some sense of meaning. We see that around today, don't we? If someone's been successful in business, and they're savvy, and they're shrewd in business, and they've made it, we say, well done you. And the world looks up to them, and they say, that's the type of person I want to be like. There's a blog that I sometimes listen to. Now, a, a blog is basically an interview, but just put out on the internet. And, um, and I sometimes listen to this, this blog, and this, this man is very interesting in his interviews. He gets under the skin of people. Um, he, he's a, been a businessman himself, and he interviews other business people. And in his interviews, he's trying to get down to, what is your success? What is your secret of success? What's made you really blossom and get rich? Uh, and it's almost as if there's this sense of, Look what you've done. We have to glean this wisdom from you because you've made it. And we want to make it in the same way. But often, in his interviews, he comes back to a similar point time and time and time again. Despite all the wealth that they enjoy, despite all the wealth that this man has got, the point he comes back to is, where do you get your real happiness from? And he can say, I've tried it in money. I've tried it in relationships. I've tried it in this. But I still haven't got it. And it's staggering. that As he's interviewing these people, gleaning this wisdom from them, saying, oh, this is great. This is what we want to be like because you've made a name for yourself. But actually, you can't really answer the deeper questions that we have about life. So here they are. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. This is the wisdom that we all need to gain, is the thought. So that despite them grasping for permanence, glorying in praise, what's the third thing they do? They forget they will perish. Interestingly, as you look at this psalm, uh, and as you break it down, you can see there's... In a way, there's two sections where it talks about the foolish thinking of people who are chasing after money and having their reliance and their security in it. And in verse 12, and then in verse 20, you can see this little summary that's almost identical in each occasion. So verse 12 says, Nevertheless, man, though in honour, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. And then in verse 20, similar. A man who is an honour 
yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. What's interesting is that those two verses, they're, they're, they're kind of like the conclusion. Despite all that you have, you perish. Despite all the wealth that you enjoy and accumulate in life, you perish. You know better than the beasts that perish. In one sense you could say, you know better than my neighbour's hamster that died this last week. We used to look after his hamster when he'd go on holiday. Um, we used to shove it out. <laughs> it was so smelly. We'd lock it away. We never told him that. But now it's died. But this hamster's died. Well, we, we didn't kill it. But this hamster's now died. And, and in a sense, it, it just takes that hamster and it's just put it in a box and put it in the garden and put a stone on top. And that's it. It's the end of the hamster. But in a tragic way, what is life when people chase all these things and then their life goes? It's finished and they perish. They are like the beasts that perish. Verses 10 and verse 12 are like a sandwich of reality around the folly in the middle. So verse 10 gives us the reality. It says there, um, it's talking about how we take nothing with us. Verse 12 says... Nothing remains. We don't remain. But then you get in the middle. Their folly. What's their folly? They have this sense of permanence. They think they will last in verse 11. Again, you get the same idea in 17, 18, and 19. In 17, you have, they can't take their glory or their praise with them. And verse 19 and 20, the reality is that they thought they had light and wisdom, but they'll dwell in darkness. But in the middle of those two realities, you see their folly. They think that their praise makes them someone. And so here's the psalmist, and he's saying, remember their stupidity. Remember how empty their life is. How futile it is. Look at verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish, and of their posterity who approve their sayings. This is the way that they walk in. And those that come up behind them, their descendants, they think, wow, those people have made it. I have to walk in the same path. I'll follow in their way. And it's just a continual pattern of blindness. And so in verse 14, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. You know how sheep are renowned for just following each other? Like sheep, they're laid in the grave. Interesting to note that it's not money per se that is the issue. It is money without understanding. Look at verse 20. A man who is in honour, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. See, it is possible to have money, but your hope and your reliance and your life isn't all in money. But for those of the world, what is it? What is it? They have money, and that's where their reliance and their hope and their trust becomes and so look down at verse 6. What does it say? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live in it eternally. Wealth 
does it make a scrap of difference when you're facing death? All the money that you have, death can never be bought out. And so we see the terrible end of the fool. Look in verse 14. Death shall feed on them. Just think of all the status that they once had. All the time spent in the gym. All the money spent on expensive clothes. All the things to make them beautiful. But death shall feed on them. Verse 19, a very sombering verse. They shall not see light. This is what life is lived without God. If you live life like this, you die in a way without God. And we see the consequences. And so the psalmist is saying here, look at their folly. Look at their foolishness. Don't be tempted to go in that way. Don't be tempted to walk in that path. Don't be tempted to think ever at any stage you're missing out. Because what do they have? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And this is a parable that Jesus uh, spoke. Luke chapter 12. And verse 18. Um, And you'll see the truth of it here. Luke chapter 12 and verse 18. Look at this parable. In verse 18 we read, and you'll know this parable well. Jesus speaking. So he said, when he's speaking about the the rich fool who pulled down his barns. He said, look at this bumper crop that I've got. And I pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And so that's what he does. He pulls down his barns, build bigger one, builds bigger ones, puts all his stuff inside. And uh, we read the account in Luke 18. He says, Luke 12, verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see what he's doing? That idea of permanence. So, you've got many goods laid up for many years. It's just going to go on and on. Just live like you're here forever. You can see his thinking is permanent. And then you can see how he praises himself. Again, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat. Drink. Be merry. And yet... He is forgetting the reality. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? This man, he got everything. He thought life was now going to be cushy. But he's taken God out of the equation. And God says, You have nothing this night. Your soul will be required of you. So as we go back to Psalm 49, the psalmist is saying, and God is saying to us in this psalm, remember their stupidity. Don't desire to be like them. What do they have? Nothing. Nothing. But he doesn't stop there. Next thought I'd like to bring out to you is remember your saviour. Remember their stupidity. Remember your saviour and three little points under this look at verse 15 but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave remember your saviour 
God will redeem me. Who can redeem your soul? Can your brother? Well, as we see in verses 6 and 7 and 8, none of them can by any means redeem his brother. Even when it's someone that is close to you, so close to you that you would do anything for. Money cannot do it. You cannot redeem your brother. Verse 8 tells us the redemption of their soul is costly. No amount of money can pay. But God will redeem my soul. But God. No one else can do it for me. But God can. He is the only one that can. And as we were thinking this morning, to you who believe, he is precious. And we think of Jesus Christ coming. We see him living in humility, where material gain and wealth just wasn't part of his thinking. He didn't have a great house or estate, servants or slaves. He wasn't phased by these things. Why? Because he was coming to die on a cross. And there he dies in humility. And there he is the one that can redeem my soul from the grave. Remember your saviour. God will redeem me. Yes, one day our bodies are going to die. If the the saviour hasn't returned by that time. Our bodies will die. We'll be put in the grave. But that's not the end. God will redeem me from the power of the grave. And secondly, God will receive me. Look at verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Death is not the end. It's not the closure of everything. It's not the final finality that so many people um, see it as for themselves. And will experience it for themselves. Look at verse 19. Talking of the fool. They shall never see light. But how about those who are redeemed? How about those who are Christians? How about those for whom Christ is their saviour? Look at verse 14. It talks then, instead of no longer seeing light, what does it say? The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. There's a new day. There's a morning. The godless will go to a place where there's no light. But for the Christian, there's a morning. And a morning with an endless day. A morning where there is no night. And a day where the light himself is God. And we'll be in his presence. He will receive us to himself. In a sense, we're living in the evening now, aren't we? But we're waiting for the morning. God will receive me. And then thirdly, God will reward me. What does it say in verse 14? The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. The tables have been turned. They're no longer oppressed by the wicked. They've been faithful throughout life. And now they live in triumph and victory. And now their homes will be eternal. Now their homes are no longer temporal like everything we see here. All the hardship, all the difficulty, all the struggles, that'll be a thing of the past. 
all the patience that was required to keep going, all the hope of looking forward, it will then be the present. Well, wonderful thing. Remember your Saviour. So in those times when you look around and you look at your neighbours, you look at other people you know that aren't the Lord's and you see how they're living, how they're spending their money, their time, their lives. How should we think? How should we feel? Well, verse 16. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. Don't get the wobbles. Don't feel I've missed out here in some way. Remember their stupidity. Remember their folly. Remember your saviour. Let's just turn back to Luke chapter 12 and I'll finish with just a few verses from here. Luke 12. um, That parable there that Jesus told about that rich fool. He thought he had everything. And actually he had nothing. And then we read... Jesus says in verse 21, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this this rich man, he'd been rich towards himself, but he hadn't been rich towards God. Now what does it mean to be rich towards God? Does it mean to put all your money in the collection pot? Is that what it means? What does it mean to be rich towards God? Does it mean with all your money to be given out to charities and to be given to the poor. and Is that what it's talking about? Well, yes, it might well involve some of those things. But how does Jesus sum up the Ten Commandments? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? To be rich towards God is to live that out, isn't it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all these things, you're being rich towards God. But what was that rich fool doing? He was being rich towards himself. All of his energies were for himself, for his own satisfaction, for his own pleasure, for his own security. And he didn't seek God first. And so here, we see that this man, Jesus says of him, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He hasn't got that attitude where he's saying, God, I'll give everything to you, my life, my heart, my soul, my strength. It's yours. Now, the reality is that when we look at something like this, and Jesus knows it, he knows that we'll wobble. We think, if I live like that, what about this? And so if you keep reading through in those verses, straight after that parable, it's really interesting to see what Jesus says. Verse 22, then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, what does he say? Do not worry. Interesting, isn't it? I'm telling you to live like this, to be rich towards God. Ah, the thought will come in, if I do that, will I miss out here? So Jesus says, do not worry. What does he say? Do not worry about your life, what you eat or about your body, what you put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Keep going down. Verse 25. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? 
if you're not able to do the least of these, why are you anxious for the rest? What's Jesus saying? Don't worry. Keep reading down. Come to verse 29. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Why is Jesus saying this? Is it because he knows that when he tells us to be rich towards God, those worries will come in? But what about this? But what about that? And if I really do live in this way where everything is yours, Lord, will I look after myself? And God is saying, I'll look after you. Be rich towards me. Don't worry. That's the idea that we have back in Psalm 49. Do not be afraid when others become rich. Don't be afraid. What do we read in verse 31 of Luke 12? But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Verse 32. Do not fear. It's the idea coming out again and again. Don't fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that will not fail. Where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what's Jesus saying? You look around at others and you see the wealth that they're having. You see the lifestyle that they're living. And you think, well, I tithe. And I hope you do tithe. And, and, I, and I give money to the Lord. And I hope you do give money to the Lord. And, and I spend my, way in this, my, my time in this way where I'm serving the Lord in this area. And I hope you do do that. Then the thought might come, but I'm missing out. No, do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. Final verse from Matthew chapter 12. Again, you'll know these verses. Matthew, 12, uh, Matthew 16, sorry, verses 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's the next verse? For what will it profit man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? As we look in Psalm 49, we see man can gain the whole world, but his soul is lost. And what do we read? God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me. What a wonderful, wonderful thought that is. And so live your lives being rich towards God. Put him first in everything. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength.